Amen. Good job. Good morning. How are you? I'd like to announce that today is Sheila's last day in your fellowship. I'm taking her home with me so that I can hear her pray. Whew. It's good. All right. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be back in the same place we were yesterday. While you're finding your way to the Psalms, Psalm 92 in particular, I want to tell you about Judah. So Judah is my third boy. He's nine, and he is by far and away my most confident kid. You wouldn't know that to look at Judah. He is the scrawniest little fella you ever saw in his life. He'd blow away in a stiff wind. He's always been a tiny, skinny, little underdeveloped kid. He had major kidney surgery at 10 months, and uh, he's just been scrawny ever since. He calls that his skinny, skinny green bean powers. He's quite proud of them. His brothers, Eli and Noble, are naturally tall, naturally athletic, naturally strong, and uh, Judah, <laughs> Judah looks so tiny compared to his big brothers. School has come very easily for his brothers, Eli and Noble. Nothing comes easily for Judah. He has some really significant learning challenges, but he doesn't seem to know it. When he was in preschool, the teacher sent me a picture of something that Judah had drawn. I don't know what the assignment was, but... He didn't get it right. It was just like nothing but scribbles. And his teacher said he finished doing the project. And everybody else's looked like what they were supposed to look like. Judah's looked nothing like anybody else's. And he sat back and went, nailed it. That's Judah. (laughs) Judah was a bookshelf for Halloween. Uh, The year before, he was a green pen. I I, I don't know. Uh, But so his daddy and I built this cardboard wearable bookshelf with all these books on it. And uh, only a kid as confident as Judah can pull off a bookshelf costume. My favorite story about Judah, I promise I'm not going to talk about Judah all morning, but I could. But my favorite story about Judah, and this totally sums up his personality. So we were going to go on a hike, and uh, we made it 10 steps before uh, my husband accidentally cut himself with a pocket knife, and Eli accidentally bushwhacked Noble with a branch, and we had to turn right around and go back to our cabin. We got back in the cabin, Judah goes, whoo, good walk, and he, he meant it. <laughs> he, he is so confident and self-assured. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, I'll use any excuse to talk to you about my boys, but also... Because Judah lives like a child who knows. He just knows. He's deeply loved and wholly accepted. And you can't change, you can't convince him otherwise. Now, my poor first two sons, they had to teach me how to be a mama. And uh, there was a lot of crying and yelling involved. I'm just going to be honest. I tell Eli, he's my Petri dish kid. He's my oldest. It's all an experiment. But I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll try it out on you. And I may or may not do it with your other brothers. But by the time I got to Judah, I had learned how to parent with love, and it just oozes out of his little life. I want to connect the dots to why that matters together this morning. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 92. Sisters who weren't with us last night, we talked about the latter verses of this psalm where God tells us that the people of God will flourish like palm trees and like the cedars of Lebanon. And I hope you invited the Holy Spirit to kind of poke around in your hearts a little bit and let you know where you might not be flourishing. One of my sisters told me that her fuel light came on in her car today. That's, of course it did. Um, 
but we started to think about when the fuel light is going on in our spiritual lives, in our emotional lives, in our relational lives, that perhaps God wants us to pay attention to that uh, so that we can live flourishing lives. I'm going to, this morning we're going to park on, just ignore this wire, I can't control it. Um, We're going to park in the first part of Psalm 92. So let me read us Psalm 92, 1 through 4. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hand, I sing for joy. Before we examine these four verses more closely, I want us to remember our thesis of this weekend. Our thesis comes from verses 12 and 13. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. So again, those of us who are in Christ, our lives are supposed to look like these giant, healthy, leafy, fruitful trees. And where verses 12 through 13 give us that thesis, verses 1 through 4 give us a formula. How do we accomplish that? How do we become flourishing, thriving, fruitful women? Because the reality is, our world is broken, we ourselves are broken, and there are lots of reasons why we wouldn't flourish. So how do we become flourishing trees? Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Verse 1. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. We might read that and think that thanking God for what he's done and singing about it is a good thing to do. And of course it is. But what the psalmist was saying and what he had no idea, no way to know except for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that a life of thanking God and of singing in gratitude to God, it's not just a good thing to do, it's actually good for you. In ways that can be measured in a CT scan. Here's what the research shows about the power of living thankful. Gratitude causes what neuroscientists call synchronized activation in multiple brain regions. Being grateful and expressing that gratitude lights up your reward pathways in your hypothalamus. Now, the hypothalamus's job is to keep your body in homeostasis, to keep you okay. It controls your hormones. And researchers have tracked this and found that when we're thankful, that little command center in your brain reduces reduces a chemical called serotonin and another chemical called dopamine. These are the brain's pleasure chemicals. So the psalmist was saying, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. And now science has caught up to the word of God and they're going, hey, we've made this amazing discovery that God's been telling people for thousands of years, which is that it's really, really good for you to live grateful. It's the same part of your brain that controls your emotions and your higher order thinking and your ability to focus on something. Being grateful is a choice that's not dependent on your circumstances. And as Christians, we're not just sending gratitude out into the stratosphere. We're directing our gratitude at something. No, actually, we're directing our gratitude at someone because God is the giver of all things. So When we live grateful, we're thanking God for everything that he's given us. And God, in his infinite goodness and mercy, wired our brains so that when we are thankful, 
it leads to neurochemical flourishing. In other words, as the psalmist said, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. I love it. When science catches up to God's word, it thinks they've made a discovery. What about singing? That's also mentioned here in these first couple of verses in Psalm 92. I love that we sang together this morning. I love realizing that anytime the people of God sing together, we're rehearsing for heaven, and I feel like we had a pretty good rehearsal today. We're going to be in glory. We're going to just sing our hearts out to Jesus when we're finally with him face to face. Well, what happens in our brains when we sing? It reduces cortisol, our stress hormone. Scientists are very, very worried about how high our levels of cortisol are. We're all walking around neurochemically very, very stressed out. Singing reduces that. Singing releases immunoglobin A, which is an antibody that your body releases to fight infection. So think about that. God wired your body so that when you sing, you are less likely to get sick. And if you are sick, you are more able at a cellular level to fight off this sickness. That's how God created you. Singing improves your memory function. I can tell you this, my mama who does not know who I am, doesn't know her own name. If I start singing Jesus loves me, she knows every word. She's got, um, you know, one of those Amazon dot things in her room and I'm always like, sorry, Plays worship music. It's all your watches are going to start singing here in a minute. And she will just sit there and sing along with those hymns. Those memories are still there. And I think those memories are going to stay there. Singing improves your mood. And the results get even better when we sing in a group. One study found that people who sing together have a strong sense of well-being and a meaningful connection to each other. Again, God created you so that when you sing songs of gratitude to him, all kinds of things change in your body that lead to your flourishing. And not just your flourishing, but the people you're singing with flourishing. He's so good. He knows what he's doing. How do we flourish? Well, the things that scripture calls us to do are so practical. It's not like you just have to drum up more flourishing. You just have to just decide through gritted teeth that you are going to flourish. No, God's giving us here this very practical formula that every person in this room can do. You are thankful to God for everything he's given you and you sing praises whenever possible. Let's look through verses two through four again. Keep the it is good from verse one. It's all one continuous thought. It's good to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. It's good to the, to, where am I? I got lost. It's good to sing to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work and at the works of your hands I sing for joy. Don't over-spiritualize this. God's given us a blueprint for flourishing and he's saying, declare God's steadfast love in the morning and his faithfulness by night. We would go, yeah, I know. Of course I do that. But the psalmist is saying, intentionally, every day, because God's people flourish, declare his steadfast love in the morning and his faithfulness by night. You can wake up every single morning of your life before your feet even hit the floor, before your eyes even open, 
and you can know God loves me. He's going to love me every second of this day, no matter how it goes, no matter what I get done, no matter what I don't get done. I can know for sure that God loves me. And, and what a path to flourishing that is. To wake up and before you reach for your phone or before you start the coffee or before you start getting kids ready for school or before you head into your work day or before whatever it is that you have to do, you wake up and you remind yourself, God loves me today. He's gonna love me all day. I told you yesterday that I'm a type double A achiever. One of you told me that you had been misdiagnosed as a type A, but now you realize you're a type double A. I love that. And I don't apologize for that. The Lord uses that temperament in me to accomplish a lot of things. But one of the downsides of being wired that way is that I have spent my entire life trying to win the approval of other people by doing, even God, It's exhausting and hard to flourish. But I want you to listen to Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. I've got it here. Listen to it with fresh awe. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That was Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. When did he choose you? Before he poured the foundations of the earth. So if he chose you in love before matter even existed, it couldn't have been based on your performance. It couldn't have been based on anything you can do or anything you could not do. You had not even taken a breath yet. God has always, 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 always loved you. And God will always, 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 always love you. God's love for you is not a thermostat. It doesn't go up and down by degrees based on your behavior. He's always loved you. It's not like you can earn more of God's love by being good. In fact, scripture tells us that no one's good. So he loved you because you belong to him. Mamas, we understand this. We loved those babies when they were inside our bellies. We loved them as much when they were inside as we did when they were outside. My oldest turns 15 this week and I keep saying to him, you used to be inside my body because he's now like six feet tall. It's crazy. But then, you know, those early years of being their mamas, they couldn't do anything for us. They were wholly dependent on us to take care of them. And yet, is there a deeper love in the human experience than a mom for her child? And that's supposed to tell us something. It's supposed to teach us something about who God is. There's a reason that God calls himself the father. Because his love for us is not based on anything we do or don't do. It's because we are his. Jeremiah 31.3, God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Apart from God, we know nothing of everlasting love. Even in the best of circumstances, our love for each other is conditional. 
But God, when he's talking about us, says, my love for you is the everlasting kind. I started doing this little blessing with my boys every night. It comes from the excellent book, Habits for the Household. If you have kids at home, I recommend it. It goes like this. I'll pull them into my lap one by one. And I'll say, do you know that I love you? And they say, yes, mama. And I say, do you know that I will always love you? Yes, mama. Do you know that I love you no matter how good you are? Yes, mama. Do you know that I love you no matter how bad you are? Yes, mama. Who else loves you like that? Jesus. And then I kiss him on the forehead and say, let's rest in that. And you can watch them flourish under that truth. That's the gospel that I'm speaking over my kids every night. My love for you is not contingent. You know where it really hits them in the heart is when they've had a day where they've gotten it all wrong. And they've been in time out a whole bunch of times. And then I say, you know I love you no matter how bad you are. Yes, mama. And that is the kind of love that God has declared over us. And when we wake up in the morning and realize I will be loved every second of today, we flourish. As I've been parked in Psalm 92 for about the past year and a half, I've often woken up with a thought, and it's a new thought for me. I think, I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to lose. Nothing is on the line today. At the end of this day, I'm still going to be fully loved by God. And it does contribute to flourishing. Both of my boys tried out for the basketball team this year. They're both average athletes. Uh, not, not stellar. They're not going to be stellar. So we didn't know if they were going to make the team or not. So when they went into those basketball tryouts, I had them put on their hands, NTL, nothing to lose. And I said, buddy, if you make the basketball team, are mommy and daddy still going to love you? Yep. If you make the basketball team, are your brothers still going to love you? Yep. If you make the basketball team, is Jesus still going to love you? Yep. If you don't make the team, are you going to lose the love of your family and Jesus? Nope. So you got nothing to lose. Just have fun. What, what a flourishing way to live. To know that ultimately we have nothing to lose. God's love is never on the line. One of the things I'm most looking forward to about heaven, and man, am I looking forward to heaven. But I am looking forward to the fact that all striving will be over. We're not gonna be trying to do better, to earn anyone's approval, to earn anybody's love. We're gonna be face to face with Jesus and we're gonna know him fully even as we've been fully known. And yet, when Jesus taught us to pray, he told us to pray for things to be here like they are there. For things to be on earth as they are in heaven. And I believe part of what he meant was for us to function on our actual real lives, knowing that we are completely and irreversibly loved. And that does lead to flourishing. Look back at verse 2 to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Again, this isn't supposed to be theory. This is to be something we actually do. You can crawl into bed every single night of your life and honestly say, God, you were faithful to me today. 
It doesn't mean everything went the way I thought it should go. It probably won't. It doesn't mean you didn't face real challenges and real heartaches and real sorrows and real frustrations. Of course you did. The whole earth is groaning for Christ to return. And we groan with it. But no matter what is happening in your own life or in the world, you will never face a day that you get to the end of it and define that God abandoned you or that he wasn't faithful to you. That's an important thing to remember. I'm gonna fire off some verses. You just try to write down the references, okay? Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is what, church? Faithful. Second Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, even if we, in our hearts, abandon him. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot abandon you because he has promised he never would. And he cannot break his own promises. Lamentations 3, through 23 is a favorite of mine. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm an early riser. Non-early risers hate us, but some of us are just wired that way. I don't know what to tell you. And part of it is because that is the only time when my house is quiet and my brain can think, but part of it is I don't want to miss the sunrises because every single morning God puts a parable in the sky I am faithful. I am faithful. I am faithful. I am faithful. Now there was that one time when the sun stood still in the sky. You'll have to read your Old Testament to find it. But without, except for that one exception, since the dawn of time, the sun has come up every morning and the sun has set every evening and the writer of Lamentations is telling us that that is telling the story of who God is and he is faithful. So it is with the sunset. We have the most beautiful sunsets on our farm. My husband's always trying to get, us, get me to sell our farm. I'm like, if you can find another place with sunsets like this, I might think about it. But the sunset tells a story. You have never lived a single day of your life when God was not faithful to you. And you never, ever will. God cares very, very much about the rhythms of our lives. I once heard a pastor say that God must care a lot about the mundane because there sure is a lot of it. But he, in his word, gives us all these rhythms for work and rest and fasting and feasting and waking and sleeping. And here the psalmist is giving us a very practical rhythm that you could implement tonight. Wake up every morning, and before you head into your day, you just take a minute to consider that you are already fully loved, and that nothing you do or don't do throughout the day is going to change that status. You are free to just enjoy the life that God has given you, because nothing's on the line. And at night, when you tuck yourself into bed, and like me, you probably find yourself exhausted to the very tip of your toes. 
I fall asleep on the couch most days. I'm married to a night owl. I'm an early riser. That's what happens. A night owl marries an early riser and they just stay married. That's how it works. And I'm so tired at the end of most days. But I've just gotten into the habit internally of just thinking through, God, how have you been faithful to me today? How have you kept your promises to me today? True, you haven't leave it, left me or forsaken me. True, you've given me the fruit of the Holy Spirit. True, your word is a sword. It separates the thoughts and intentions of my heart. True, you've changed, you've given me gladness where there was sorrow. You're faithful. You're faithful. You're faithful. And then as your final thoughts, you don't have to be thinking about all the next day holds. Jesus taught us not to store up our worries. They're gonna come either way. But as your final thoughts on any given day, you can know he will be faithful to you tomorrow. That's how we flourish. That's why Judah is the way he is. Judah has no worries that his mama or daddy won't love him. He has no worries that we're not gonna take care of him. And so he just glides through life, confident, wearing his bookshelf costume. And in and, and this season, when, when the Lord is showing me what it means to flourish, I've so admired that boy and so prayed that the world would never snatch that away from him and that God would give me that kind of assurance. It's, it's there for your taking. It can seem so silly and light. Of, some, many of you have told me what you're walking through. Many of you are walking through really challenging things. And I'm coming here and telling you, be grateful and be be thankful God's been faithful to you and it can feel like, what? Does she live in the real world? I do, actually. I do. And being rooted and grounded in the love and character of God is what sets us apart from those who do not know him. And by some profound mystery that I really can't explain to you, but I believe it's true because God's word tells it is by some profound mystery, even in the midst of a terrible storm, we can flourish. I can tell you from experience that God can use those two seemingly insignificant rhythms of waking up with gratitude and going to sleep declaring God's faithfulness to fill your tank. He can. He wants to, to mix my metaphors, between the empty tank and the healthy tree, those things work like fertilizer on the roots of your life. They cost no money. They take almost no time. <clears throat> and yet, as the psalmist is calling us to a flourishing life, he gives us this rhythm. Be grateful. Sing together. Declare God's faithfulness. So I threw the um, praise team a curveball this morning. They kind of rolled with it. They did roll with it. I said, I feel like we should wrap up the first session by singing. Because we're talking about singing. So they're going to come up and we're going to sing one song. <clears throat> but as they're doing that, <clears throat> I want to speak a blessing to you. Excuse me. 
I got a frog in my throat. I'm gonna speak the same blessing to you I speak to my guys. And you just have to respond back. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that Jesus loves you no matter how good you are? Do you know that Jesus loves you no matter how bad you are? Nobody else loves you like that. Nobody else loves you like that. But you can rest in that. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you do love us and we love you. That's always been true and it will always be true. Help every woman in this room to live like she has nothing to lose. Because she doesn't. She has nothing to lose, nothing of significance. God, we flourish in your love. We flourish in your faithfulness. And we, when we forget those simple rhythms of gratitude and singing and reflecting on who you are, we wilt. So I pray that you would upset our rhythms today and moving forward. We're going to sing now to you because we love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.